are in the Grotto Pod. I am in the Grotto Pod. I am here with you. We're all here in the Grotto Pod, the only writer's podcast that comes from an actual pod. Think okay. about that for a moment. Pod, pod, pod. I know some some people think you shouldn't call your podcast the pod. Hmm, well, some perhaps other... some people should visit the pod and then they'd understand where we're coming That's right. from. That's uh, right. But remember to only wear, wear layers because it heats up pretty quickly here in the Grotto Pod. Today, <clears throat> however, our guest will be... You know, world famous poet. Yeah. Matthew Zapruder. I'm going to say world famous just off the top here. Uh, How he, many poets can you say that about? You know the thing about poetry? Poets, not a ton. It's really hard to translate. I'd be yes. interested to hear about that. I would because uh, Matthew's latest book, well, let me not jump ahead. He's written four books of poetry, uh, beginning with 2002's American Linden on Tupelo Press and followed with. 2006, The Pajamist, which won the 2007 William Carlos Williams Award. Uh, Come on, all you ghosts, 2010. By the way, I love that title. Such a good title. So cool. And it's a great collection. And uh, 2014's Sun Bear, the last three on Copper Canyon Press. Great Um, press. His latest book is called Why Poetry, and it's not a book of poems, per se. No. Uh, Would you say it's fair to call it part memoir? I would. Yeah, because it takes personal experience. But you know what it really does is demystify and make... I don't want to say accessible because that almost sounds like a cop-out. A cop-out to whom? To poetry and the writer. It, yeah. it demystifies poetry and it really kind of lays out his reasons for why Why do it. Why do it? Why read it? Why do we have it? Right. I mean, he even asked the question, what is poetry, which is... Mind-boggling. Not, I know. It's not that simple that to answer. Your head explode. It really could. Uh, and it, I think, you know, and you, we were talking earlier, it's got some parallels to your extremely successful book, Broad Strokes. Yeah. Did you hear it sold out on Amazon? I did not hear that. That is impressive. Well, it's kind of a bummer. Oh, because <laughs> they got to think about that. Yeah. I mean, it's like one of those good, bad things. But at any rate, it you know, I, is it self-serving to say that when I was reading it, it reminded me of Broad Strokes and it made me really happy because I admire Matthew so much. And I think he's such a good writer, such a good poet and such a... Fine blues guitarist. He is a slide. Plays that slide guitar in his band, The Figments, though. I don't know if they're still active. I, I looked we, at, we can ask. I went and looked at some videos, and they were all pretty old, but they were pretty cool. I think They were pretty old, or the videos were old? The videos were from the 90s. Oh, that's the that's I think the they put it out around 2013, but we're asked, and it, we'll ask Matthew, and it's interesting because his brother, Michael Zapruder, right. is a musician. Right. Uh, his sister, whose name is in my notes. Alexandra. Alexandra Zapruder is also... A writer comes from a family of, you know, artists, but uh, in his he book, feel he says he wasn't an artistic guy. So we're going to delve into that a little bit, I think too. both things could be true. Interesting. Right? Well. Is it possible? I, I mean, you know, you start, like, maybe your family didn't feel like it was an artistic family, but somehow in adulthood. you happen to be doing. Well, in adulthood, something yeah. comes to fruition. I don't know. We're going to find out. And maybe also, you know, he... What, he defined himself as not being artistic when he first discovered poetry, and that was in his early 20s. And maybe right. in your early 20s, to call yourself artistic, you got to be all in. Yeah. You know, if he's thinking, well, you know, I'm not wearing paint-splattered coveralls and hanging out at the espresso bar. I must not be artistic. Plus, he was he was in academia. He was an academia nut, yeah. And that can be a little... I mean, and that's another part of his story that, I mean, he was in a PhD program in Slavic and Russian studies, mm-hmm. I believe, and left to become a poet rather than finish his PhD. And I did the same thing in art history. Went right back in not the Not poet. 
Um, and I did not get an MFA, but <clears throat> I certainly wanted to. No gonna, one would have me. We're going to delve into that. Let me uh, finish with his uh, bona fides here. Yeah. He's also the co-founder of Verse Press, which became Wave Books, which had him living in Seattle, Washington for a little bit. When was that? Uh, I don't know. I just oh. looked at his oh, Wikipedia sorry. entry. Excuse me. Uh-huh. I yeah. will say he has the longest Wikipedia entry of anyone who has yet set foot in the grotto pod. Really? Pod, pod, pod. Um, we're just going to keep saying pod. Yep, until we get tired of it. Yep, uh, that won't happen. St. Mary's, which is a little bit of an affront to me as a Santa Clara graduate, but I'll brush that aside. Um, I think uh, now's the time to go get Matthew. Yeah, let's just hear it from Bring the horse's mouth. Just hear it from the horse's mouth yep. uh, and go through. Uh, let's ask him first, why poetry? Yeah, that's a really good first question. People want to know. Well done, Rosen. Let's go get him. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Matthew Zapruder, welcome to the Grotto Pod. Glad to be here. Good to have you. Um, this is the first time that we've had this sort of configuration where you're both actually looking at me. I'm staring at you. I know. It's a I little... can't move my head and look anywhere else. But... <laughs> it's a little unsettling. It's like a little bit. Matthew, thank you for confirming the size. People think we go on with a little too much length about this, but yep. honestly, if yep. you spent hours a week in here, you would maybe also feel it's very small. It's yeah. really... It's hard to ignore that element. I'll get used to it. It's it's not. I mean, it's it's cozy. It's cozy. You know, I'm it sure has high people, feelings. It's <laughs> <that's laughs> so larger. It's like a Manhattan apartment. It's got high ceilings, ceilings though. <laughs> it, is, it is like a Manhattan apartment. And listeners, let me uh, warn you first that what we have here is a collection of three people in the midst of allergy season. So if there are various throat clearings, coughings, I hope not sneezings, because that would involve particles flying at very high speeds. <laughs> Uh, don't That's say why you, you have these spit screens. Don't say you weren't warned. Uh, Matthew, Ooh, so I don't know if we if we briefed you, but we do about a 10-minute intro before you get here. So we went down all your bona fides, got your published works, uh, got your band. I listened to some uh, videos before play? we came here. Do you still play? Um, not recently so much because of the, I have a kid, so oh, I haven't been able to connect with the, with the guys. They're it. back east, but um, we are on a hiatus. We all, we all had kids right around the same time, actually. That's so, awesome because yeah. soon you can all go on tour together. Yeah, you could do like a With national your kids, park like tour. Jeff Tweedy. That would be really exactly. cool. That would be the best. That would be great. Yeah. That, we that, could open for yeah. them, or we could leave the kids at home. That would be really great. And go on tour. I highly recommend that. <laughs> you could. You have little kids, right? I have one two and a half year old. Oh my! Yeah, you're in it. <sighs> that yeah. blows me away when people like you. Brand new book. Why poetry? Two and a half year old child. Tell me right now how. How do you find the time? How do you find uh, the, the privacy? Energy. The awakeness. Well, I have a patient spouse. Mm, this is great. the way. Uh, I don't know because I also, when I was working on the book in earnest, I started working on the book. I was also starting a full-time teaching job at the same time. But I, I know. And I don't really know actually how it all worked out. <laughs> I really don't. I think I just worked all the time mm-hmm. on whatever was immediately necessary to work on. So I think I pretty much just worked constantly. Well, I can't speak as the, the er writer, but I've found that the more excited you are about something or the better you feel about it, the easier it is to work on. Mm-hmm. And you'll find the time. I mean, if you're slogging through something, it'll be easy to not work on it. Yeah, I became kind of obsessed with this book, actually, writing it. It became this thing I thought about all the time and even when I wasn't sitting down typing or taking notes I I was thinking about it and just thinking about it and you know when I laid down 
to go to sleep and when I woke up in the morning and it's I just, you know, that way. feeling, yep. you know, that feeling when you're just mm-hmm. processing and it's kind of almost the writing starts to happen all the time and it's not even necessarily totally about. I love keyboard. that. Yeah. It was kind of, um, I felt a little insane because I just thought about it all the time. And then I would finish a draft and it would ease up for a little while and then it would start again when I realized I wasn't happy with the draft. And so I think all writers have been have had some version of that <clears throat> cycle of just coming back again and again. So maybe it's better to work on this when your child is this small, they don't remember you being crazy. <laughs> I think when you have a kid that age, <clears throat> your life is so effed. Yeah. That it's, that <laughs> well it's sort of in a way it was kind of like, I mean, beautifully effed. Oh, it's but the I best. Mean, but, but, you know, you know what I'm talking and about. It's, so, so just, it's not like. It's very like Blake. Yeah. Heaven and hell. Blake and bleak. I have to say, <laughs> yeah. my, my child is now a sophomore in college. And when he left for school, I didn't miss ages 14 through 17. I missed ages zero through five. Yeah. So I mean, you, I, lo- I love it. I, I love, I mean, I can't stop playing around and hanging around with my kid. It's the best. But it it's is just, the best. But, you know, I mean, yeah, and I wrote poems when he was born. Uh, he would be on my lap and I would just be writing. And it just, I don't know, I think I was awesome. just in this mode where every minute just seemed so insanely precious to me that I would just be needed to be, do, uh, need to be doing something. I mean, you know, that's I the upside, I think. Yeah. Before you have kids, you can waste eight hours easily, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, reading some poetry and thinking about stuff and writing a sentence. And after you have kids, you just have to get your work done. You got to bang it out. Yeah. But eventually, you can go back to wasting all that time. Again. I look forward to it. I'm here to tell you that. That's true. Um, <clears throat> I want to dive into the book, but actually, first, I wanted to ask you a question that just occurred to me. Uh, how has your poetry changed since you became a father, if at all? Um, it's a little hard to say because usually when something happens and I do some writing, it takes a little time for that experience to process through the work. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, uh, when a big thing happens to me, I just, I will write and write and write or try to get at it. And then it might be a year or two after until it kind of metabolizes through hmm. my imagination. And so I kind of feel like maybe more now than a year or so ago, uh, my kid is starting to enter into the poems and my fatherhood in general. I'm just starting to see that, I think. So probably in the next book, eventually when it gets finished, that'll be a part of it in some kind of way. But it takes it's it's it 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 really is almost like this physiological process where it has to metabolize through the imagination and become because I'm not I don't write mem- I, mean, I don't write my poems aren't memoirs mm-hmm. they're not just purely autobiographical. So I so I need the the, the experiences need to process and change in, in an organic way and become authentically symbolic. I guess. Yeah, I don't know if I was actually talking about pure autobiographical, just more how your worldview changes. Well, I was really scared before, but now before I'm you completely had kids. terrified. Yes, exactly. I mean, I was sort of as scared as your average like neurotic yes. Jew you know, would be about just sort of being alive, but I also had this bravado, um, you know, kind of kind of devil may care. Right. You right. can't, you can't be that way. Can it's, 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 hey, you know, it's life or whatever. And yeah. then, you know, then yeah. having a kid, as you all know, again, I mean, now I'm just, I mean, it's, it's insane. The intensity of the worry and yeah. fear. So, so, so I just am probably <clears throat> trying to keep that from becoming too intense in a way. So I can protect some space of, of, of imagining and being free and, 
thinking through things because if you start to really think about your kid in the future, I know. it's just, I mean, everybody, and you know, one thing <laughs> I think is interesting, I mean, this isn't really about poetry or anything, but I thought after I had a child, I thought maybe the hidden secret of motivations of so many things we don't understand or why people behave the way they do simply has to do with fear about what's going to happen to their kids. Oh, totally. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> like, like maybe that's, maybe like that's, that's, the, no, but that's, well, maybe that's yes. the thing that makes people do crazy stuff or, or, or things that you can't understand or, they, or behave with this immense cruelty or, or selfishness or whatever. I mean, there are ways now that I can imagine behaving that I never would have thought about behaving Same. as a child. I and really I'm not understood. saying I would actually do it, but I'm saying I can now understand yeah, why somebody completely. would. Because would... when it's just you, no matter what, it ends with you. But I really understood my father better. Yeah. His maniacalness. Mm-hmm. You know, he had nine kids. Oh, boy. And I, now I get, like, that would make you constantly afraid yeah. and crazy. Yeah. And that, it did. That really would be like living just in a completely exposed way. Right. I mean, and, one is, is enough. You know? And to try and manage <laughs> the world so that nothing's going to screw with your kids. Which is impossible. Is impossible. Course. The one thing uh, I just thought of is um, not just how it affects your work, but also, you know, to manage that fear of life, the world, that burden, so that your kid doesn't feel it mm-hmm. is That's, a really important thing too. And it's it takes a lot of psychic and emotional energy to do that. Right. Containment, yeah, indeed and, uh, it does. All those feelings, but yeah. So anyway, I don't, but back to your original question. I mean, as far as working, I mean, I, I think I just clicked into this intense mode where I was working all the time. And the prose, the rhythm of writing prose and the rhythm of writing poetry is so different for me. I mean, I didn't, I had never, I had written essays and things like that before, right. shorter pieces, a few thousand words, but it was nothing like this. And just the grinding intensity of it, the way you have to just sit down and work for four, five, six, seven hours straight um, and day after day after day coming back to it. And if you don't do that, it's just not going to happen. That was that was because, I mean, the thing for me is I'm a pretty distractible person. I, I I'm easily distracted and I and I, you know, will pick my head up and walk around or go pick up a book and put it down or whatever when I'm writing. And that's actually good for poetry, I think. It's, mm-hmm. it's good to maintain that kind of lightness in relation to what you're actually – what's actually in front of you on the page or and on the screen. And kind of openness to what's going on yeah, around you. Yeah, because I think that your associative mind is is, is the is, – that's the part of your mind you're trying to tap into when you're writing poems. So, And that's something I really like in your poetry, how mm-hmm. these allusions and associative things come into the poem right. as it's unfolding. Yeah, it's really that's nice. one of the great pleasures of writing poetry and I think also reading it. So, so it's good in a way to have that – oh, I'm going to go to a coffee shop and just sort of right. work for a little bit and then listen to someone's conversation and maybe pick up the newspaper because anything might – you might just see out of the corner of your which, eyes something that belongs to the poem. Which as a prose writer is exactly why I don't go to coffee right. shops because so I, I had do to, that. So I had to train myself out of that behavior when I was writing prose. I can, you cannot write mm-hmm. a serious book-length work of prose and, and, and behave that way because you're just never – You'll never push through. Yep, I mean, so I, I it was very hard. <laughs> Physically, it was hard for me. I just wasn't used to the stamina that prose writers have of just sitting and working. <laughs> you know, it's hard. Uh, okay, so the, the book is called Why Poetry? But my question is, what compelled you to write a book of prose then about mm-hmm. poetry after four successful poetry books? Why um, this book? Well, <clears throat> I talk about this in the introduction some. I just, when you, when you do, when you're a poet, you run into people all the time who 
have basic questions about poetry they or resistance to it or right. they just don't they say they don't like everybody's it everybody's got an idea about it yeah and i understand and, and so i think a lot of poets reaction to that is to kind of i don't want to say dismiss it but maybe just chalk it up to just some kind of ineffable philistines mm-hmm. yeah not, not maybe not quite that bad but sort of like sort of like look i mean that's just the way it is like people feel right. that way about mm-hmm. poetry or whatever but I started to get this feeling, well, what would happen if you took those questions that people were asking or their objections really seriously and try to look at what, what were people really asking and what were they really struggling with in poems and why do people feel that way and what was it all about? And so I sort of t- got interested in this idea that I could maybe, you know, in a way like just face face those questions and well, really try to answer them, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. Completely. Well, and it I seems like you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, because that, that's what I'm yeah, trying to fact, do. <laughs> yeah, we've been talking a lot about the parallels between your two books and how you both take, uh, I can't think of the, I was almost going to say gnarly, like really well, I intense think subjects they can that be, a lot of people They can just be off-putting of, subjects. Right. People keep at arm's length and really try to demystify them. And it seems pretty important to you in this book to not only demystify, I don't want to say make accessible, but kind of explain in a way that isn't off-putting. Yeah, absolutely. To kind of get through that part. Well, I had a kind of, um, and then by the way, I want to say that when I was listening to BQ, your, the, the podcast you did with BQ, I was thinking to myself the whole time, wow, that really does sound like we had the same, when very I read your, similar impulse. When I read your introduction, it's not just the impulse for the book. Our our experience was very yeah. much the same in being in a graduate program, about to start a right. PhD, mm-hmm. deciding to leave the writing. Goes on. Light goes on. Let me ask yeah. you both then, <clears throat> since you come at this from sort of a similar place, uh, and since you're both looking at me. Um, <laughs> Directly at you. And wearing glasses. So where did this, imp- did this impulse come from a positive place or did this impulse come from, look, I'm sick and tired of this. Someone needs to set the record straight. I don't know. Why are you looking at me? Uh, I just thought. <laughs> well, I want to say one thing before I answer like that. You were is a that team there for a second. <laughs> um, Matthew's Twitter icon is a painting by Kazimir Malevich, and I've never known why that was. And after reading it's your. Be my next tattoo. Is it really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, mine's going to be yeah. a Vanessa Bell lighthouse from yeah, that's Virginia Woolf's book. Okay, oh, let's go oh, together. We should. Yeah, oh, dude, okay. don't That'd say things like I'll that do it. on I'll air. Do it. I know exactly where I'm going to get it. All right, I, we'll shake it. We're I'll, shaking. It's great radio. Oh my They're gosh, actually I'm so excited. <laughs> great radio. Um, okay, I just want to say that um, was it turning away? No, it was this passionate engagement with art that made me realize I wanted to be an artist. And that was why I loved art history. Not because of formalism, not because of connoisseurship, not because of reception theory, not because of Foucault, but because I loved paint Mm -hmm. and whatever that means. I wanted to make something in the world. And Mm -hmm. that's why I... So I had to start there. And it was the people I was studying is what gave me the bravery, I guess, to take the leap. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think I had multiple impulses. I mean, I will admit that a little bit of it was probably that sort of kind of annoyed or like frustrate frustration with a certain kind of well, because question. when you choose this as a career, I mean, you kind of know what's coming that you're going to spend your whole life to be going. Oh, you're a poet. Well, that's right. I mean, it's, it's sort Instead of, of like a PhD in Russian studies, right. which sounds so like cool. Well, yeah. Not to my parents, it didn't. But, oh, but the uh, but, a poet but, um, sounded better. Yeah. Uh, well, by then they just given up. <laughs> but the um, 
No, I think it, it's sort of, you know, it's equivalent of you're tall. It's sort of, how's the weather up there? Exactly. Like that, yeah. that, you know, poetry, like, oh, how do you make a living? I mean, the, the jokes yeah, yeah, I hear, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, I always yeah. want to say to people, it's like, you got to do better than that. You yeah. got to do better Love than, it. like, the poor poet who can't make right. a living joke. That's just, like, not yeah. funny enough. Which I think is ironic, because I remember <laughs> when I was in grad school, you could tell the poets because they were dressed better than us. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I would let you down in that department. But, uh, <laughs> but I, uh, no, I mean, I, I will say that the poets I know are very resourceful about making a living. I'll say that. I mean, I remember in the financial crisis, going back for my, um, to my college reunion and all my friends who were in finance and uh, you know, or we're lawyers or whatever, they were all freaking out. And I was like, I'm oh. fine. You're I, like I, dancing. I, I still don't have a job. <laughs> like, no, I mean, I have, you know, I teach. I, I'm, or, yeah. or I freelance write or I, yeah. I do, you know, whatever. So, but but that being said, I mean, I think more the, 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 the bulk of the impulse was positive. I think it was this enthusiasm or this sort of, I just got this feeling. I was like, maybe I can explain this. Maybe I can finally explain this. And of course, you know, it's impossible to fully explain it. And I don't I don't also think of it as being so much demystifying as like in a way like bringing the the, the mystery, the true mystery of poetry forward. I think yes, that I the, love the, that you the, say the, that. The, 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 there's, you all know when poetry is taught in school. I mean, this is, I talk about this in the book, of course, but there's mm-hmm. so much ridiculous stuff that's said about it and people, you know, asking you to figure out what it really means and its themes and what it's really about on some it's And it's not only is that just a miserable experience generally, it is. but that's it's also I- not even what poems are for, what they do. I loved when you said, you know, um, you know grass is grass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> it took me years as a writer to get out of the art historical tick of always looking for the metaphor right. and always looking for the symbol and to just be with the thing itself. Right. And it's so satisfying. And I love that part of your book. I think that's a real gem of truth. And just to, just to follow up on that, I mean, I think that we would all agree with any form of art, you know, you, it it can become of course, metaphorical or allegorical or, or symbolic or whatever you want to say after you've sort of had your initial encounter with it. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you don't even have the patience to have that first encounter with it. I mean, it'd be like if you, if, it'd be like if somebody asked you to uh, explain what a piece of music is about and you didn't even, they didn't even play you the piece of music or something. You know? exactly. it's not, I mean, exactly. that's sort of what poetry is like. For, I, when I teach poems, I, I ask my students to tell me what's in the poem or what's happening or what's going on or whatever. And it's like for them, they can't even say the simplest thing and they immediately want to go to some super complicated explanation. And that's I how think I was. That's if you don't, if that's where your ori- orientation is towards poems, you will never... It will never have I mean, any that's experience what makes that uh, Musée de Beaux-Arts poem mm-hmm. by Auden so beautiful is mm-hmm. really understanding that it's that Icarus is happening right now. Yeah. And when you can get to that, that's like the mystery of life, man. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and I have to say, too, um, as a poetry Luddite, but having taken poetry classes, no one starts by saying, just read the poem. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Just start there. It's yeah. usually either, you know, it's it's one end of the Dead Poet Society spectrum. It's either, you know, the stuffy guy with the measuring the meter or it's the, you know, guy right. in the field screaming at the sunlight. Right. And that's just another kind of mystification, that, that sort of performative. It's kind of poetic, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I know what I mean, you mean. That's also a temptation, too, when you teach poetry to sort of use its use its difficulty to sort of exalt yourself. I mean, I've seen teachers do that before. And now, I always start by when I teach, more or less when I teach, the first thing I say, whether it's a undergraduates or graduate students or, or a, um, 
or poetry workshop, you know, whatever I say, what do you see? What do you see? You know, and, they, and everybody always wants to jump in. No, what do you see? What's let's mm-hmm. let's. And then sometimes I need to even say, well, let's talk about the title. What's it? What's it saying? What, mm-hmm. what are the words? And I, and it's very hard to back people down to just being talking very simply about it. Mm-hmm. And then of course, once they do, and they start just asking the simplest questions, it becomes incredibly interesting immediately. It's fascinating. So you just yeah. mentioned <clears throat> that sometimes people use it as sort of a shell game to exalt themselves. The, does the fact that you see that make you popular? <laughs> uh, I would think it might be kind of a controversial thing to to actually notice and say out loud. Mm, I don't know. I mean, I think that most of the poets I know who are real real poets, and I know a lot of them. I mean, American poetry right now is in a very cool place. Oh my god, I think, so many great poets! It right is. Now. I, oh. I think that for more or less, people would agree with what I'm saying. I don't. I don't really think it's. I mean, I was sort of talking about that dead poet society image. You know that I like that movie a lot. By the way, love anyway, that but, movie. But but I mean, it's you know, but that. I don't run into that a lot. I, it's just, it's just. I think that there's a tendency sometimes for people to want to use it to intellectually aggrandize themselves, maybe more. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I just find that kind of irritating because it's it's contributing to a problem that's, and, and in a way, it's selfish because I want people to read and like my my poems. Right. You yeah. Know, I don't like it when people do things that make that harder. You know, so in a way, it's just it's kind of almost like self-interest. <clears throat> I want I want people to read what I wrote and and be with it, what's on the page, and listen to what I mean and everything, and then I, they should take that for what it's worth. If it doesn't interest them, fine, but mm-hmm. but not to miss out on what I'm trying right. to do. I and I think that's a question not only for poets but for writers and artists of all kinds. You know, what, what how do I want to go here? I want to be, people to be able to get it, get this message out to as many people as I can. Or do I want to have it only for a select well, few? Well, here's my thing. If you had something really important to say, why would you hide it? Exactly. That's what I do not understand. I mean, honestly, I'm not trying to be uh, blithe or, or, right. or dim-witted, but it's like why, if you really, really cared about what you were saying and really wanted people – or, or you could say, or if you really wanted people to have an experience through your words, if it's not about <coughs> a message or whatever, why would you obfuscate it? It's just I, – I, I say this to my students all the time, like – it, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, what, I mean, I'm stunned into kind of That like must be really refreshing for them. But I, I also think you use the example in the book of Ezra Pound. Mm-hmm. And it's easy. I mean, in one way, it's labyrinthine and it's crazy and it's mm-hmm. associative in a way that's for mad scholars. But in another way, you can just read it and enjoy it. Sure. Um, or, or maybe it was... Um, was it Ezra Pound you were talking about? I talked about – I did talk a little Are, bit about Pound, but I also talked more about Elliot. Elliot is – that's yeah. it's the wasteland I'm thinking of. But but in both cases, I mean Ezra Pound is maybe a little too extreme. But but the wasteland, you can just read it and yeah. enjoy it. Well, and I, I'm not trying to say that – I mean there is a great uh, deal of poetry or, or a large body of work that is complex and difficult and um, and, you know – Obscure maybe is a word you could use for it or just elusive and or alienating even mm-hmm. in a way when you mm-hmm. look at it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Artists should do what they need to do. Right. But I, what I don't like is when people do that when it doesn't feel necessary to me. If, it, if I look at a piece of, of, of writing and it's complex or difficult and I feel like the writer is – that is the only way the writer can mm-hmm. create the effect mm-hmm. that she or he needs to create, then by all means. You know, <clears throat> but if it's just – obfuscating some simple point and the only point of doing so is just to mystify people 
that is not an interesting artistic experience for me as, as, a, as a reader. And I think we could probably generalize that across a lot of different human well, activities. You oh, know? for but sure. Of course, in that, you know, and it's a matter of opinion, too. I mean, one person can say, no, no, I get why this person's doing it. Another person could disagree. And that would be an interesting conversation to have. But, well, and you know, <clears throat> early in the book, you, you make it very clear that not only are you trying to remove the, you know, the entry code from reading poetry, but you also want to stress its importance and the fact that you want to make it more accessible if it's important, that makes it work for more people. I'm wondering, I want to go a little biographical here. Um, So you sailed blithely through your young life without ever knowing that there was poetry waiting for you at the end of it. (laughs) For the most part, yeah. (laughs) Like most young American men. Uh, It wasn't until you were 24? Maybe a little younger. A little younger, but in a graduate program for Russian and Slavic studies? Uh, Slavic languages and literature. Slavic languages. At Cal Berkeley. At Berkeley. Uh, you kind of had the aha moment? Yeah, I'd written a, a, poems a little bit here and there, but I was sort of, I thought of myself more as a musician or a song, not a songwriter really, but but I played music. Okay. So, I mean, I'd so, like to talk about that too. Yeah, me so too. I, I, I was, I wouldn't say that, I mean, I think I wanted to be a writer. I know I wanted to be a writer, mm-hmm. but I hadn't really written anything. And so I, and I talk about this in the book, but I mean, when I really finally decided to do that, I just sat down and wrote every day, and what I wrote was so poems, great. and it was so strange that that's what happened because it wasn't really. You know, I never would have said that that was my favorite thing to read, or that I, you know, I just. But it's. I guess I was drawn to it in some kind of way that was a secret to myself. You know? What's the difference between songwriting and poetry? Oh, nice. I mean, that's a real living question in the world right now. I it would is. say with the Nobel Prize and. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have a kind of stupid answer to that, which is oh, that please. song... There are no stupid answers. Music? <laughs> music with them and poems don't. Um, I, That's a good answer. It's, it's, I wrote a little bit about this for something else one time, but I think that one of the things that gives poems a lot of power is that they take place against the background of silence. Mm. Silence is such a part of the experience of reading poems and poems enter into silence and there there's and that's why the spaces and the, the white space or the line breaks or the or the stanza breaks and are, are, are of, of of poems are so much a part of their their effect and songwriting is different it's 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 difficult to write songs because you have to make the words work with whatever the musical context is mm-hmm. and that's a very complex interaction that is and so the people who write <clears throat> lyrics for songs have this incredible ability to to make those <clears throat> pretty disparate things work. I mean, music and words are not the same thing, but somehow to create a hybrid that works, and or, or those two things working against each other, in tension and with each other, and so and that's just not really uh, the same as writing poems. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's. I'm not saying that there's no relation between the two, but there's it's it's. I mean, it's not that. You, I mean, there aren't that many really great poets who are also really good songwriters and vice versa. It's actually pretty unusual, I would say. So. And also, I mean, when you started writing poetry, I mean, writing music, maybe not writing, but performing, it's a collaborative effort. Right. So it had to be a pretty big switch there. Yeah, I mean, I love being in a band. It's mm-hmm. great. I mean, it's so fun. And I love it. So and, and I also like being... Um, uh, I liked the idea of helping of, of helping someone else realize their vision, or almost like l- and letting them be the boss. 
I mean, I always say, like, bands are not democracies. They're dictatorships. And they should be because there's one person who's the songwriter. I mean, sometimes it can be more than one person. Mm-hmm. In it. There and are, look there what are happens. Exceptions. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but, you know, the band that I'm in, I mean, I play with this guy who's a genius songwriter. And I don't – and I do what he wants. And if he doesn't like what I do, I do something different. And I do it until he's happy with it. And that's – and not – I mean, he's very gentle. Isn't there something very satisfying in oh that? Oh, my God. I love it. I know. I would too. I love it. I, I like that. it's too, a little too revealing like how much I like it. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> I, yeah, I get told it. what to do. Um, but, but in Palms, it's completely different, of course. And so that's a, that's a very – that's a completely solitary – yeah, endeavor and 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 that's a different kind of buzz that I love. But it's it's nice to have both in your life, or for me to have both in my life. I guess mm-hmm. I'm actually sort of surprised here that you were already playing music though, because in the book you describe yourself. You, you almost sound blindsided by poetry because you say, "I'm not an artistic guy." Where'd this come from? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was in a ba- I was in a crappy band. I was living here in San me Francisco. Too. Yeah, weren't we all? <laughs> yeah, I was. In, I, I mean, I was in a band with some great musicians, including mm-hmm. my brother. But the band itself was. Well, I don't even know if it was crappy or not. It was, just, it was, it was more or less unlistenable, but it was, it was, you know, um, but, uh, but it was interesting to play music with those people and I learned a lot, but, um, so I, but I wasn't writing songs. I was, I was actually, I played bass in that band, but, um, yeah, it was only later after I started writing poetry that I, that I joined or formed this other band that I've been in for a long time. And that was so, so already at that point I was in a different space in my artistic life. Did you ever go through the angry young poet phase? No, because I, I didn't write poetry when I was younger. That's why I'm wondering. I, mean, I was if, angry when I was young. I knew, you know, in, in my 20s, I knew, I knew a lot of these guys in the black leather jackets, you know, in the bar writing on the back of a napkin. And I'm wondering if you, having managed to skip that and kind of the ridiculous of that, of that has made it possible for you to look at poetry in this level-headed way where you're not like, no, these are my innermost important thoughts coming forth and they must be inaccessible and so beautiful. Yeah. That's an interesting. That's an interesting. You skipped the whole step. Well, I probably was just working those things out in other equally annoying ways (laughs) that didn't have to do with poetry. You know, so I mean, but it's fortunate there's no track record. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was exactly. I was behaving badly in that way, just in different forms. But but poetry for me was never about expressing my personal feelings. It just wasn't. I never. And I actually do. Will would argue that more or less great poetry is not. It's there's a great there's a quote that I use at the beginning of the book by Virginia Woolf. Um, the poet is always our contemporary. Mm-hmm. And I thought so much about that. It's from a great um, – it's from a talk she gave to school to, to school-aged kids called um, How Should One Read a Book? I think that's the title. And it's oh, such a good, good title too. talk. And so she goes through all the different genres and sort of explaining the difference between fiction and – you know, in the novel and the short story, she and it's beautiful. It's this amazing, loose, completely lucid, you know, description of all these different things. But at some point, she starts talking about poetry, and she says that about, you know, poets. The poet is always our contemporary, and I thought a lot about that. And I think what that means is is that there's a kind of eternal nature to human experience that is that is in a way abstracted from the individual person's experience, and in a way even abstracted out of time. So that you can – that's why you can relate to poems that were written 200 or 300 or 500 mm-hmm. years ago in a totally different culture because there's something common about the human mind. And that's always what I was interested in. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, And it doesn't mean that the – I mean the weird, the totally crazy thing about poems is that in a way the more specific they are, the more they get to that space. Completely. It's so – it's such a paradox. I mean the very abstract kind of bland poem actually doesn't – I think that is often hard to connect to. It's something about – the specifics 
of the poem paradoxically make it easier to connect to it, even though you're a different person. That's a that's a kind of mystery to me why that is. But, it's you know. like that with all writing, I think. Yeah, maybe even all art. You yeah, know? It's, I it's think it's such a weird. It's it's the humanness comes out in the particulars, but somehow the more particular it is, the more I think that's Aristotle. Aristotle, I think. Yeah, that the universal is in the particular. Right, I right. Think. I know it's this. It right. That's true. I didn't even think of that. Because Check I, out funny, BQ I, with the classics. Right? Yeah, because I do. I do. I do write a little bit about Aristotle. I didn't even think of that. That's got second edition. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. How many? How often do you get these emotion-packed young people in your classes, though? How do you deal with them? Because well, it seems like that's what's fed to us. You know, this is what a poet is. So I teach mostly. I teach graduate students. And by that point, they've been ironed out. <laughs> well, yeah, beaten down. By, no, most of them are um, have a little bit more of a, of a sophisticated understanding of what poems can do. I mean, they've read enough poetry, been through, so they're not usually those. So here's what I want to know: What are they reading? Mm. What are they like? It's really strange because a lot of them haven't read a lot, and maybe they've read a few things. Either maybe something by their teachers or something regional, like if someone's from a certain part of the world, mm-hmm. like they'll read the poet that's famous in that place, like you know Richard Hugo. I was just going to say that. I was just thinking that too. I, you know you, a lot about this stuff. And when you yeah. uh, reference the Triggering Town, I've given that book to so many Isn't people, that a great book? and so few people know about it. It's a great it's book. It's so good. Just Everyone, Montana, it's the whole Northwest, right? Yeah. The whole Northwest. Yes. That's right. But he's a he's a demigod, right? But I'm just sort of using that as an example. Somebody maybe maybe might have read that if they're from there. But that was definitely for me. I read Richard Hugo. I read a lot of of Montana writers and poets when I was young. But I wonder sometimes about young people now. I think of, well, maybe young, young to me. Some of the poets I like to read the most, Natalie Diaz and Matthew and Michael Dickman come to mind. You know, they're, they came up at a time when rap and hip hop was bigger than it was when I was young. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if having a different pop culture relationship with words and with that kind of lyric facility may have created a kind of mini renaissance in American poetry. Yeah. I have no basis. You know, I have this. this. <laughs> no, I think that's 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 true um, and makes sense. But I, I think maybe even weirdly, and I've, I've, I, this could be totally wrong, by the way. I'm just going to say this. Um, usually doesn't stop me. But, uh, well, but, uh, me either. Uh, the, no. I think, I mean, I hate the internet. Basically, like, and I, it's, and I hate it on a personal level. I wish you could all see of, Larry right because now. Because of what, because of how it sucks I have a my life hate. away. And, me too. And oh. Emails and, yes. and, and it makes and me, stuff. it makes us crappy readers too. And I'm totally responsible for it. I could totally not do it, but I do it anyway. So but what I'm getting readers. at is that the, the amount of text that mm-hmm. our interaction with text, oh. with language, even right. at whatever level. I mean, people can say, oh, text messages or whatever are such a low level. But just the daily interaction with written words is at a much I – would, I would bet is just time-wise. There's so much more of that for kids who are, who wow. are 20 years younger than, than me than there was when we – Because like, we talked like to each think other. About, we, you know, we're all about the same age. Yeah. We call the phone. Yeah. We talk to our friends. We – and that's all great, and we can we can sort of you know just justifiably sentimentalize that and say that that was amazing. <laughs> but what's interesting now is just the volume of of language that 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 people are dealing with is is in, immense. And I wonder whether for some people, for a minority of people, that 
was didn't lead to a kind of fascination with it. That is so interesting. To it. This could be, like I'm saying, I, could be, I have no evidence for any of this, but I'm just like, I've, I've thought about But the, about way, that the way the internet and this kind of um, uh, phones and the internet, et cetera, mm-hmm. is bad for poetry is in readership because it requires, I think, reading poetry, a kind of attention that is hard to cultivate now, yeah. even for myself. I think that's true. I, could, I, I agree with that completely. And I would also say on the, on the flip side of it, it's also true that the difference between reading a poem and all the other things we do is so dramatic that if you if you realize that, then it becomes such a, even more of a precious thing than maybe it was before mm-hmm. to read poems. So mm-hmm. I think there's a, there's a pro and a con, like a kind of, you know, it's, it's once you get somebody to read a poem or to, or to get the buzz right. of that experience, they realize they can go to that place and it completely blocks out. All this other buzz of, of you know this noise of life and so. well, sort of piggybacking on what you're saying, <clears throat> it actually seems like it would be easier to get people to read poetry now because there's fewer words, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. and and they're visual, you know. When people are texting, yeah. I was wondering what you thought of this as a poet who looks at words in a visual way. I mean, I get I go crazy when people send me a text with the letter U. I hate that. But it may not bother you. You might think that's really, you know, a really interesting way to. I don't have big thoughts about that. I've become very, um, you know, as a a professor, I mean, I have my my relationship to uh, how people choose to use language has changed a lot. I mean, I, I, you know, whereas five years ago or so, I might have completely cringed at a person using, you know, the the third person plural pronoun in the singular. And now I think. You know, oh, well. who am I to yeah. say? It's, yeah, it's you know, an like, evolving like, like, thing. Like, I'm just not going to be the guy yeah. who's like, yeah. oh, damn it, that's like agrammatical. You know, it's like, I mean, that's not as important. My, yeah. my fuddy-duddy thing is not as important yeah. as somebody feeling like, <laughs> like as realized as possible. Yeah. Human being. So, yeah. so I'm kind of, my, my, <laughs> well said. My, my feeling about that is generally, you know, I'm old. Well, sure. So, yeah, so, so I'm, like, I'm not going to hassle. But, but doesn't yeah, mean I can quietly see you. doesn't really bother see me. The, the, the K? Hey, K I use because I'm like, K's fine. Driving, like, Actually, I just learned when I started Uh-oh. the Grotto. He just said he was texting while he drives. Well, Uh-oh. you know, you're like, stop the red light. Oh, okay, okay, like, yeah. You pick up the train, sure. or whatever. You're like, K. Yeah. yeah whatever, yes, like, okay. uh, I just learned recently that the correct spelling of OK is OK, not OKAY. Oh. What a, no Connie one even told knows. Us that, yeah. No one even knows what OK stands for. It stands for something. But and no he, one knows what. No, literally, no one knows. Connie what does. No. Oh, she No doesn't. one knows. Shoot. You know and my I favorite probably punctuation literally thing incorrectly. is we're really drifting off here. Yeah. That's all right. Oh, there's Harry no such S. Thing. Truman. Yeah. His middle name is S. Oh, I've heard that. <laughs> and there's no period. No after period. It. I've heard I that love before. That. I know. I, I feel it's like the awesome. best pedant in the world when I correct you about that one. Actually, there's no period after the S. There's also no period after Ms. Oh really? Yes. Really? Not a, not a not a not salutation a, that people are really into lately. I know it used to be more of a thing. Yeah, but I, like it. I think it's Ms. I do yeah. It's so simple. I Maybe love I Ms. Be. Maybe I should be called Ms. I will call you that if you'd like. <laughs> uh, but uh, it has become that people put a period there, but it is not short for anything. I mean, uh, it's not supposed <clears throat> to have a period there. One more thing about present day communications, and then I want to move on to something relevant. <laughs> <laughs> do you realize if you're it's a teenage relevant. boy right now and you want to? Call up a girl to get a first date. You uh-huh. never have to talk to a parent. There is no risk that you have to talk to a right. parent. You may not even have to that. talk to her. You can just text her. What's up? I remember that, dude. Is not that even that. You guys can like have. A, so you can be skyping pictures. You can I, be, do you have anything. any idea how much more active I would have been if I didn't have to call people? 
Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think I would have found a way to somehow not get Dave to freak out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what if she doesn't respond? It seemed to be a genius at, at not getting Dave. I so think good. about just from the opposite perspective, how many dudes would have been bugging you? Yeah. Like, yeah. especially oh, in college. I mean, I've seen, oh know, my I've, god. I, yeah, I'm just. Yeah, that's gross. The text messages are <laughs> yeah. gross. I've seen. Yeah. It is. Yeah. We just watched yeah. that show that your nephew worked on. Thirteen Reasons Why. Thirteen Reasons oh. Why. Sam Hoyland. <clears throat> it's a high Filmmaker. school series, but. I didn't think ever about how awful high school would have been with cell phones until I watched it. Like, holy cow, if someone does one thing, everybody knows within minutes. I got that to look forward to. I know. I, Enjoy I, it. Yeah. I do think. Because there's really nothing at all terrifying you're at, about you're at, a high you're school at a new age frontier child or a college age with child rearing. Um, It'll all be fine. I want you to know. Thank you. For you guys keep talking. It's going to be awesome, notes. actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, that is nice. Let's talk about the grotto a little bit too. Yeah, let's I'm happy do that. to talk about poems at all. No, no, no. Let's thank you for the segue. Um, let's talk about the grotto. Yeah. Are you so? Are you an emeritus member now? I am emeritus. How long were you here? That means you're old. I'm. Yeah, we know that already. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. I think we're the same age. <laughs> I'm the oldest person in this pod. Um, pod. Really? Pod. You think you're the oldest in this? Broom really? closet? Okay. Yes, I I'm am. Sure, that's true. Well, I know all you like are because you have the longest Wikipedia entry of anyone who's ever been in the grotto pod. Really? Yes. I don't know. Sure, I've ever looked at my Wikipedia entry. Well, it could be wrong then. <laughs> yeah. I don't <laughs> think you don't make your own entry, right? No, you're not allowed no. to make your own entry. I don't no, even know how you do that, that makes sense. I don't either. Um, but I will say that when I first came to the grotto, which was I think six or seven years ago, Matthew, I think through a party. At the grotto, probably cool. And no, I did a party myself personally. Well, I, well, maybe you sent out the email. Oh, and um, I should. I, I wonder if this is okay to say. It's okay. I don't it was remember. on the roof. Is oh yeah, okay I was say? not responsible for that. Okay. But I was there. I was there, and I remember you guys <laughs> got trouble when you were talking to Poe and Ethan about that. Oh, was it me that was talking to him? I don't know. The old yeah, when they were on the podcast, and they were and they were. Oh, uh, oh. And, they, and they wiggled out of saying. Oh right. Okay. So now I've said it twice. I'm going to be in trouble. But I, I want you to know that. I think, but there's a picture of me with you on the roof oh, really? that someone took that I have, and I had this moment of transcendent happiness that I was on the roof talking to a poet in San Francisco. I just felt like <laughs> everything will be okay. Oh my god! Because wow. this is so That's awesome. Great. I feel so. <laughs> it was like, really an important moment in moment. my. <laughs> it, it was. <laughs> it was so. That was a fun you know, party. Well, it was I, very fun. I was just thinking because you know I listen to I enjoy listening to these podcasts. Thanks. I listen to all of them, and oh they're very, it's great. Fantastic. It's kind of cool. it's a sort of <coughs> way I have of kind of keeping my mm-hmm. connection with keeping the grotto, and, and also reading. I love reading the emails where people like and seeing the periodic complaining <laughs> about the compost or like awesome. can I borrow I a phone charger? It's like I'm really. It's I feels like my virtual clean out refrigerator. When I, came, when I moved back to San Francisco in 2009, um, I emailed Steve Elliott. I was at the grotto and I kind of barely knew him or, and uh, I just asked if there were any offices and then I kind of and he connected me with I can't remember who but but basically what happened is I started subletting offices mm. here and it was such a different space then I mean there were maybe I mean there was, was it so in many, this building it was or in this building but it was it was it was the vibe of it was different because it was it was right. there were only single offices and 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 there were so many fewer people here and so it took year I mean mm-hmm. you would like I sublet rooms for, I want to say, at least a year before I even applied, before mm-hmm. an office even opened up. Like, mm-hmm. So it was a much, it was a much sleepier, like, like kind of quieter vibe in here. And then over the time I was at the grotto, it just, it, it you know, and I know you talked about this with Paul and Ethan, but the, um, the situation changed in terms of the needs of this, of the, of the organization. And right. so, but yeah, it was, it was, it, it, so I was here spanning that time mm-hmm. from when it was, it was a smaller 
place like that to now this, you know, this community, this incredibly active community. How many members now? I think over a hundred. Over a hundred, but but that includes emeritus people, not people who are coming in all the time. But the the grotto was a huge part of this book because I started working on this prose book when I was here, and I was also fin- you know writing poems and and writing many of the poems in my last two books were written here at the grotto or like often walking back and forth. We had an apartment at North Beach, and so the, the oh, this area is that sounds the life, good. Man, that sounds you know, good. Back in the day. Uh, but um, so so you know that the, what, so coming down here again, I was thinking, oh, this this yeah. I remember this this area and this space, this physical space, and beginning and how many poems I wrote. But also, I started writing the why poetry here, and it was really helpful to have all these prose writers around who knew what yeah. was going on. Mm-hmm. I was asked, constantly asked people's advice, and so many conversations with different people uh, about both the writing of the book and also, you know, the kind of uh, more commercial aspects of it. I mean, I had never, pu- I had never published in the New York house before and I hadn't, and never had an agent and never, I didn't right. need one. Oh, yeah. So all that was new to me. And so I was able to, it was great because I could ask, you know, Connie or Carolyn or Poe or Ethan or all, like all these folks. I mean, I'm, you know, there's many, many other people I had conversations with about, you know, what to do basically. Like, what's, how do you decide and what do you do? You know, uh, that is right. it's the like greatest having, like, specialized thing. living Google. It was amazing. It, it it's is. incredible resource. And also, just, I mean, just how to make a book of prose. It was completely clueless. And it That's was, so interesting yeah. so because I, I would be ask, the same know, place with poetry. Yeah. yeah. Right? That it, that it is a mystery. If you, yeah. if you aren't doing it, it's a mystery. <laughs> no, it just occurs to me. Yeah. Even like even you know using Scrivener, which I didn't, which was became a big thing in the writing of the book because I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't. At some point, someone said to me, you know, you know, you can't write this whole book in Microsoft Word. You realize that, right? I mean, you can't write an eighty thousand word book. I was like, you can't. I don't know why not. You know, I mean, I'm sure you could, but like it just it's harder. It, it just and then, well, and then I went there into are someone's downsides office. To too. It was Heather's office. And she showed me screen. She's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Oh yeah." I, guess I remember this. Why would I know this? It must know, have been. Maybe. It must have been an email exchange at some point. Maybe. Yeah. So, Heather Donahue. We should say. Yeah, we should say last name. So in case yeah. people so want people to get their books. Yeah. 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 So she. Yeah, so stuff. anyway, but I was just thinking about how how grateful I am to to the grotto for the you know for the because it was just and just being around prose writers. But it was funny to be the only poet here. Pretty much the only poet here when I when I was here. I was the only poet here. There are poets. There are there more, yeah. but at the time, um, I was... I yeah, was, you were the one that I knew, and I... I it seems pretty journalist-heavy lately. Well, yeah. journalists can afford offices. That's true. Poets, yeah, it's harder. Speaking yeah, of which, and, and commercial issues, before we... We're kind of winding up here, but I did want to ask, because this sort of question has been burning at me since I heard you were going to be on. So when you decided, all right, I'm going to be a poet, I can't help but be a poet, was there a part of you that went... I'm going to be poor forever. <laughs> I mean, because you have to think of these things when you make these decisions. How am I going to make this work as a way to make a living, raise a family? How am I going to do this? Yeah, but I mean, I was 20. I was in my early 20s, so I didn't – I wasn't thinking about that kind of thing. I mean, I wasn't – I just – I, I would have – that didn't seem any dumber or riskier than any of my other plans. And so I just wasn't the kind of person who... <laughs> like would, the band. Yeah, or like I whatever guess, yeah. I was going to do. The decision was a stockbroker or a poet. Well, I had lived for... And also, I mean, I was immature in many ways. I think just like most mm-hmm. dudes in their early 20s are. But in some kind of way, I, I, ways I'd been around because I lived for a year in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, after I graduated from college, I lived for a year in Moscow. In Moscow. So I had seen 
some things and some ways that the people live that I saw what it looked like to live in a really, really messed up mm-hmm. part of the world and like really ha- really have like real problems basically. And so for me coming back to the States, I mean, in a way it seemed like, I mean, what's the worst thing going to happen? I'm going to totally. get a job right. working somewhere, like freelance, right, you know, and also the economy was so different then that you didn't, yeah. I don't think, I think my students who are, who are in their early 20s, their economic fear is different it's just it's just the, an intensity that was not the case for I don't know if you all can remember. Well, I mean, well, they I just have a lot more debt, I think. Than well, I think there's also way more hoops to jump through to yeah. do anything now yeah, yeah, than yeah, there yeah, used yeah, to yeah. be. I mean, it seemed hard when I was in my 20s, but not like I wasn't scared. I figured, oh, mm. no matter what, I mean, the worst thing that happens is I'll go work for some corporation and make you know money. I mean, I didn't exactly, I, but I don't know that even people can think that now. Like they've been no. too scared. Of I did notice yeah. that you refer to Wallace Stevens as poet and insurance broker. Was it or insurance salesman? Oh, or something? Yeah. insurance executive. Yeah, he was. He was a lawyer by training, but he was an insurance. I loved the picture that you painted of your dad, uh, you know, playing guitar in his off time or downtime. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's well, really that was nice. a weird thing that happened with the book, too, is that it became um, a lot about my dad, who passed away about 10 years ago. And um, I, you know, of course, I, I mentioned him. It was funny when I gave the book to my editor. Um, she said, you know, she read it and she said, well, you know, the, the the three main subjects of the book, I think, work really well together. I was like, three main subjects yeah, of the book. They, yeah. And she said, you know, well, there's poetry itself, and then there's your life, and then, of course, there's your father. And I thought, my father? Like, what? that's one of the main subjects of the book. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. And then yeah. I went back and looked at it, and I thought, oh, no, there is so yeah. much in there about him. And, and, and I didn't even know that when I was writing it. And it was... It was, and you know, I'm happy about that because it gave yeah. me a chance to, to, you know, it's very obviously sad too because there's a lot of melancholy in mm-hmm. the, and in a way, I mean, I, I, I didn't want to talk about this in the book too much, but it is true that, you know, this is, this is the conversation I would have wanted to have with him. Mm. And so oh, there's a kind nice. of sadness in that way to me about the book, but also, you know, I mean, that's, you know, part of missing somebody obviously, but I, but I, but I thought to myself as I was writing the book, you know. I would have liked to run all this by him and hear what he thought because he because he was a really 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 smart mm-hmm. guy who was a very sensitive soul who also didn't have a kind of natural ease with things like poetry so would have been and raised cool. but raised three artistic kids <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we we were talking about uh, you say somewhere in the book that you didn't come from art, an artistic family, but it sounds very artistic. Yeah, I mean, well, not <laughs> not what I meant. I guess is that the 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 atmosphere in our house was. Yes. You know, my father was a business. But my mom did work at the Smithsonian. I mean, that's her. You know, although she, not while we were, she quit her job when when we were little and then went back to it after we went to college. But um, but yeah, no, my but it, I guess in a way it was it was. I think it was more like I would say it's an, it was an intellectual household. Mm. It was a household mm-hmm. that was interested in ideas and, and 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 language and things like that. So I wouldn't say it was like a bohemian household. But it I was, got it. it was, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, but mm-hmm. anyway. This is the part of the podcast where I go over my notes one more time to see if there's anything that I left out because we're coming up on an hour. That's okay. the perfect amount of time. And you can always tell when we come up around an hour in the Grottopod because the temperature rises to... At 103. I know. I'm, I'm feeling a little woozy. How are I'm you? Schmitzy in here. I'm, yeah. I'm a little you look fine. In here. You look yeah, like cool, good. dry. Oh, my goodness. I I Although I am enjoying the fact that the Grotto Pod right now is 67% neurotic Jewish guys. <laughs> <laughs> We're less than and 1% of the population. And 33% fabulous. Yeah, that's right. There you go. All right. That's right. Okay. Let's wrap it up. Matthew? 
Thank you for being on the Grotto Pod. I know. Thank oh, you so much pleasure. for coming. I loved it. The book is Why Poetry. How can people get a hold of you? You can follow me on Twitter which under my name, or you can look at me on Facebook, or you can go to my website. Your website is at? MatthewZapruder.com. Well, oh, see, easy. nobody else Jeez. had his name. Well, it's because his last name's not Smith. Right. Um, <laughs> if you not want true. to uh, <laughs> find me, you can follow me at that Larry Rosen, uh, or you can listen to my other podcast, Is It Good for the Jews? We can be found at, at sfgrotto.org oh, slash grottopod. Oh, I might have cut you off there. That's okay. Twitter is at the grottopod. There, yeah. I did my part. Ta-da. And be- <laughs> so anyways. And Larry, I want to give a little shout out to all the people that make this podcast happen. Including Beth Weingarner, Lorianne Doyle, Lee Kravitz. Can I, yes, can they're I just, fabulous. Can I give one Our shout, out, shout out time? Yeah. Go ahead. Can I just say how nice it is to be back at the Grotto and how much oh. I miss this place and how, I don't know, I just, it's really great to be back here with you all. Excellent generalized shout out to the Grotto. Yeah. BQ, take us home. Grotto Land, read, write, and just keep working. Till next time. 